welcome to The Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. Today on the pod, we'll be talking with Dan Jablons, the owner of RSP member Retail Smart Guys, a technology consultant group headquartered in Southern California that serves independent retailers. Now, I haven't met everyone in our industry, but I can say with confidence that nobody else in our industry has a background like Dan. So hold on tight and I'll explain it to you. So first, he's worked uh, personally with retailers such as Walmart, Target, JCPenney, American Apparel, Jimmy Choo, Diesel, Oakley, Toomey, Hollywood Bowl, and many others. And when he worked for a clothing manufacturer, he piloted, he piloted vendor-managed inventory programs. And as a point-of-sale provider, he's installed systems and provided merchandising help, along with internet marketing guidance to retailers, both large and small. But retail isn't his only passion. Dan is an actor, a writer, a director, and a musician, and he doesn't just sing in the shower or appear on local cable TV. Among his credits are the HBO hit Curb Your Enthusiasm with one of my favorites of all time, Larry David. Uh, he's also appeared in over 20 films and also TV commercials for well-known companies such as Facebook, Little Caesars, Go to Meeting, Crest, Wilson Tennis, and Samsung. So I will stop talking now. And uh, Dan, it is great to meet you and great to talk with you today. Uh, hi, Jim. Thanks for letting me uh... Uh, chat with you a little bit here, and it's exciting to be here. And, and we're a fairly new member to RSPA, but we're delighted to have joined the organization, and we're looking forward to a long relationship with you guys. Great, glad to have you on board, and thanks for squeezing us into your uh, your obviously busy schedule. And that's kind of where I want to start our conversation. How do you balance being a technology consultant to retailers, and then how do you balance that with your acting work? Because I know from working with uh, you know small business folks as uh, members of the RSPA. It's difficult enough to own a business, let alone having to spend time in studios, on sets, and, and everything. How do you balance it all? Well, you know, uh, um, if I didn't have a really good online calendaring system, I'd be dead. <laughs> uh, and so it is a definite balancing act. You know, in, a, in any given day, I can be uh, consulting with uh, a number of uh, retailers about cash flow and merchandising and open to buy. And then in between those meetings, go and run and, and do an audition. And then come back and do a little more consulting or, or uh, you know, on a, on a Monday, I'll be uh, visiting clients all day. On a Tuesday, I could be shooting a commercial. So it really just comes down to really, uh, you know, being very, very flexible and very and very uh, um, uh, just really good at, at booking out time and understanding what you, you know, how long each of these things take, you know. Um, and I, I, you know, uh, I, I think it also comes down to just everybody. You know, I, I was surprised when I started to when I because I work in both fields, but in both the acting field and in the retail consulting field, I thought my retail consultant clients would be, would be like, oh, maybe he's not so serious about this because he's doing the acting thing. They actually like it better that I do that. You know, it actually I really? think I think they like the fact that the guy that they work with that helps them figure out, you know, what should they be buying or what should their merchandise look like is the same guy who's on TV right now. <laughs> so I think I think uh, uh, the two and, and uh, you know the two feed each other really well. You know my um, my my acting and my uh, artistic endeavors have helped me in a lot of retail consulting, believe it or not, just in terms of uh, uh, being present and being in front of salespeople and and, uh, uh, and that kind of thing. And also uh, I do a lot of speaking at, at trade shows. When we had trade shows, remember those? Oh, right. <laughs> Back in those Back days. Back in the day. And, and, 
And, uh, uh, you know, I find a lot of the stuff that I, I do as an actor uh, is fed by, you know, my knowledge of, of um, independent business and consulting and finance and that sort of thing. So um, the two really balance each other really, really nicely. Got it. And is the acting, is there a roller coaster from a timing standpoint? Um, oh, does it have yeah, a big, I mean, really you know, busy weeks and sometimes slower? The, the, you know, the th I, I say this a lot about acting. You know, the thing about the thing about the acting versus retail consulting, I'll tell you, is this is like, you know, I know if I'm going to win or lose in a retail consulting deal, right? I know if, if if I'm reaching someone or if they believe in what we're saying or if they want to work with us or that kind of thing, I, I usually know that, okay? In acting, you can go and do like what you think is the greatest audition known to mankind, okay? And crickets, you don't hear a thing. And no one tells you why. And no one tells you, you know, you got the part because of this, or you didn't get it because of that. And a lot of times it's just because they're looking for a particular look and they don't just, they just don't tell you, you know. Um, I, a very quick story about that. I, I one time was, was getting ready to audition for something and the guy before me comes out and they're patting him on the back. You, this was the greatest read ever. You're amazing. Do we have your cell phone number? You were fantastic. And I'm thinking, I don't even look. If you guys are happy, I don't need to go in. Okay. You just, if you love that guy, you know, big. And he was a big, bald guy, you know, probably six four, six five, you know, muscular super guy. And I'm like, look, if he's your guy, he's your guy. It's okay with me. So I go in. I read uh, uh, anyway. I do the audition. The guy doesn't even react. Okay, good. Thanks. I'm like, okay, good. Well, that didn't go anywhere, right? I leave and they hire me and they didn't hire him. So around the second day on the set, I go, you know, you were loving on that guy. You thought he was the greatest ever. Okay. And now he's not here and I am like, explain it to me. He goes, truth is we were scared to death of that guy. Just wanted to get him out of the room. Wow. <laughs> and I'm like, well, sh shouldn't you be more scared now? Cause he probably <laughs> thought he was being hired. Yes. <laughs> now he's not here. <laughs> You know, I'd be more worried now. But uh, so you, you, the thing about that business is, is it's very unpredictable. Um, uh, uh, it's it's very uh, it's a very unusual field. Um, I find a lot of times that uh, uh, if you were a retailer and operated the way that field operated, you'd be out of business in ten seconds. Um, okay. They do a lot of things that. Uh, uh, partly because of of uh, the way it's structured, and partly because of some union and stuff and that kind of thing. But but um, uh, and so they're required to do certain things. But they do things to 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 sort of like you know shore up what they're doing. I, I've been on commercials where you know I've been on screen for all of about seven seconds, but it's three days of filming because they want to make sure that just in case they have all this other stuff, in case the mm -hmm. client has a feeling about you know that kind of stuff. So so you know you get paid to do things that are never ever going to see the light of day. <laughs> and you just yeah. go like, well, what do that for? You know, it's like, but, but, you know, that's, that's what that business is. And, and I'm glad that I'm glad I don't have to do only that, you know, I love it and I have a great time doing it, but I also love, you know, uh, I think retailing is one of those things where it gets in your blood. You know, um, I say this all the time, you know, you can't walk into a sixth grade class and okay, how many want to be an astronaut? How many want to be president? Um, how many want to manage a chain of five stores? Do you know what I mean? I, usually people get into retail because they've fallen into it, right? But then you get a taste for it and you love it. And, and that's true yeah. for me. I mean, I started working in retail when I was 17 years old. And, you know, there is a real excitement about being on the retail floor. There's a real excitement about working with retailers. Um, uh, it's fun. They're, they're probably one of the, the – they're 
in, in terms of business generally, there are, the independent retailers are super innovative, super creative, and uh, and just fun to work with, and they're great people. And so it's it's been really uh, uh, the two balance each other well. But but you know uh, I love working with independent retail, and and um, we love helping them make money, and it's been a fantastic journey. Yeah. So tell us about that journey. If you can go back to he's originally from New York, uh, studied at Ohio State. And so can you talk about your technology path or your consulting path, sure, your sure. acting path, like first which off, came first? First off, I, just, I have to be clear. You have to say the Ohio State University or else they take your degree away. <laughs> hey, okay. I'm, I'm in Pennsylvania, Penn State fan, so we, we go by our own rules. I understand. Listen, I, I, you know, I've been through it. You know, uh, uh, um, So I, I, like you said, I grew up in New York, and then um, my dad felt like uh, I should broaden my horizons. At, at 17, I was already a jaded New Yorker, you know. So he um, – uh, really wanted me to go to school out of state, and we looked at a couple schools, and I ended up at, Ohio, at the Ohio State University. See, I almost did it myself. Um, and after school, I went to work for a kid's clothing manufacturer. Uh, and in those days, you know, I, I hate to say it because I'm dating myself, but really, there weren't computers around, right? And one day, a computer showed up um, on a desk, and uh, the president of the company said, you know, was talking to me. He said, we don't know what that thing is, but you're the youngest guy here and probably the least afraid of it. So go yeah. figure it out. Okay. So um, that started me in the world of computers and computer technology. Uh, and I helped them um, uh, with a lot of uh, a lot of automating some of the things that we were doing as a manufacturer. But my role there was to really um, work with the um, independent retailers uh, in a lot of ways. We, you know, we had a line that, that sold to both uh, the major chains and the regional chains and department stores. And in the department stores, there was a special, uh, a special store division. We made kids club stuff, uh, uh, kids licensed product t-shirts and sweatshirts and pajamas, you know, Disney, Muppets, GI Joe, that kind of thing. Um, and um, and from there, I, uh, I, I took a job with a point of sale company and began installing point of sale systems uh, in independent retail stores. And, uh, you know, got pretty good at that. But I found that the thing that, that uh, uh, people really wanted help with was, okay, well, now I have this system in place, and how do I actually utilize it to make money? Because that's what everybody says, right? You know, install the system, your business will be more profitable. And I remember very early on in that, one of my clients, you know, I went to go visit him one day, just happily, yeah, I'm going to go see you. <laughs> and he literally put me up against the wall, and he said, you guys said this thing would help me make money. Tell me how. Um, and so I had to figure out relatively fast um, what kind of reporting do you need to use uh, as a retail store owner, as a buyer, as a merchant to figure out what's happening. Um, and I did fairly well with that, but it wasn't until I got into the world of merchandise planning uh, that we were able to use a lot of that technology to help a retailer figure out where they're headed, where they're going, what kind of trajectory they need to be on. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, retail uh, uh, its biggest expense is its inventory, right? They spend more money on inventory than anything else. So the successful curating and manicuring of that and forecasting your sales and your inventory um, uh, is where these guys really make money. And so uh, that's been very exciting for me also. So the combination of technology and, you know, I like to say retail is a, is a marriage of art and science. And so we're the science part of it. They're the art of it, right? I mean, you know, you can look at me and go, okay, well, he doesn't really know what to wear. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. 
but um, but I do understand the numbers and I do understand how to how to help a store make money. And so that's been super exciting and super fun. And, and we work with stores in 16 countries today. So um, uh, it's wow. been pretty. It's been you know. So that's so that you know the technology got me back into the merchandising side of things. Um, but um, uh, there's so much that can be learned and gleaned from that. And there's, there's so many ways that you can help a retail business grow and succeed and be more profitable by applying technology to merchandising and and uh, making sure that people see not only you know what they see in terms of you know the the fun of the styles and the colors and that sort of thing, but also the underlying numbers that ensure that they're making money while they do this. Yes, got it. So that has been it seems like a lifelong thing for you. When did the acting? Uh, happen and uh, how did you how did you come into that? I guess not just the acting, but the whole artistic side of you. Well, you know, um, uh, I started um, <laughs> uh, in third grade. I started to play the violin. All right. By the, by the sixth grade, I figured out that um, it would be a lot cooler if I played guitar than if I played violin. That that uh, uh, that might get me more dates, maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I switched over to guitar and and uh, started to to play uh, that. And in college, I I, uh, I did some of that. I played in coffee houses and and, and had some gigs and stuff like that. After college, uh, I came home and and um, I went and I saw an improv troupe and I went, God, that really looks like fun. I really and I really think I could do that. And so uh, that led to the the formation of uh, the National Improv Theater in New York. I was one of the founders of that. Um, and the woman who started it was a woman named Tamara Wilcox Smith, and she actually trained some of the greatest people in comedy. She actually, uh, one of her students was Jerry Seinfeld, in fact. Really? Um, uh, Jerry Seinfeld, Rita Rudner, uh, Jim Gaffigan. Uh, I oh. actually worked with Jim. Uh, I actually directed him in a play one time. Um, so that hmm. kind of got me started on it. And then when I got to California uh, uh, in the late 90s, um, uh, you know, there was obviously much. There's, there's more opportunity for film and television here than there is in in New York, right? So uh, suddenly some of those doors started to open for me, and and uh, uh, I got an agent, and next thing you know, um, you know, uh, I just got hired to do a bunch of things. And then when I when I started Retail Smart Guys, because it's it's because I I own the company, I didn't have to fake a a stomachache to my boss to go do an audition. Okay, I just had to figure out how I can make it work in the schedule and that kind of thing. So uh, it started with improv. And by the way, just a sidebar on that, I will tell you that um, for those who, uh, amongst the group who are, who, who have to be in front of clients a lot and or and or have to do a lot of selling, I can't stress enough the importance of a of a great improv background and and learning improv. Um, it has helped me, you know, in immeasurable ways, you know. Um, because it, it it's uh, it's I, I liken it to skiing. You know, like uh, you, well, you were in Pennsylvania, so surely you must be near places that ski, or maybe you ski yourself, Jim. I don't know. But we're, uh, we're you, near we're near some. Yeah, mine's more of a basketball background. My coach would have killed me if I did any skiing during the season. <laughs> but yeah, we're close. We're close to a lot of skiing. Uh, okay, so when you ski, you use muscles you don't use in any other area of your life, right? You know that the, after the first day on the mountain, right? And you're in the lodge, and you're like, oh my god, I'm in tremendous pain because uh, you know the, there's like muscles you just don't use in any of the sport except for skiing improv is like that in terms of your your mind you know um you use muscles to create things in improv that you don't use in any other areas and that ability to think that way and be that creative and be that spontaneous and communicate that effectively is all part and parcel of improv training so i'm a very very big fan of that so if you're if you're in sales or you have to be in front of clients at all uh, i strongly recommend uh, um, taking an improv class 
Okay, so that's what I was going to say. Like, what are the ways to go about it? Like, one book I've always recommended to folks. Uh, it's done by a, a stand-up comic, um, and it's the book is called "Do You Talk Funny." And he went and studied stand-up comics and saw how do they keep people's attention and has a lot right. of good specific information in there in terms of things that you can do to, to keep people mm -hmm. awake. I always said you can't sell anything to anyone if they're asleep right two minutes into, uh, into your conversation. So talk well, about yeah. someone taking an improv class. Obviously, that's woven into your well, life. How would somebody go about doing that? So, so well, one thing I will tell you is that I'm, I'm affiliated with a group called Advantage Improv, and they're in, uh, uh, they're in, in Irvine. Uh, well, they're in, they're in Orange County mostly. That's where they're based, but they work all over the world. And I've worked with big companies like Microsoft and uh, um, Black and Decker and and uh, a bunch of others. Uh, and basically, they do improv training for business professionals. And they actually have a separate independent workshop that's specific of, of improv training for business professionals. Um, but you know, if you're not uh, uh, anywhere near California. Um, Almost every state in the union has someone who teaches improv there. I think you just find an improv class and, and go. At one point, um, when we were teaching in New York, it's a, it's a crazy story. We, we uh, this woman came into class and she, you know, we've been used to teaching actors and stuff like that, and she was kind of, you know, it wasn't really. Uh, she was kind of quiet and just sort of, you know, did well in class and was good, that, you know, that kind of thing. We find out at the end that she's a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. Really. And she did a full page article about about her experience in our classes in the Wall Street Journal. And next thing you know, uh, our classes are filled with people from Wall Street, <laughs> brokers <laughs> and, and, uh, and salespeople and stuff like that. And, and uh, um, uh, because they realized that improv is just basically high-speed communication. And so they, they had to learn how to communicate well and communicate effectively. And look, we've all been through it, right? You know, you've gone to the presentation and the guy is reading the PowerPoint slides to you. And reading them slower than you can read them, and you know, this is why we think this is going to be an excellent <laughs> thing for your business. And we've lived, and they're just like, oh, please kill me, right? You know, um, uh, I, whenever I do, uh, I get to a lot of presentations, and and uh, and now I'm doing lots of webinars, given the the world we're in today. But um, hmm. when we were doing them live, I, I as much as I, I would try not to do them with a with a PowerPoint presentation, I would just want to just want to talk to you. You know, and and one time I just said this. I one time I did a presentation. I said today's presentation will be 100% PowerPoint free, and the place burst out into applause. They were like, "Oh, thank God!" Because they never they look at the guide or look at the slides. You know, <laughs> yeah. what am I supposed to be? Um, uh, but you know, the, the ability to actually talk to people effectively and 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 uh, communicate well is pervasive too. It's it's not just in terms of you know sales or or the industry that we're in. You know, um, I have a friend who wrote a book on selling, and he said, you know, everybody sells every day. And if you don't think that you sell every day, uh, consider like the moment that you want. Mexican food and your significant other wants Chinese food. You're selling Mexican food at that moment in time. Oh, you love the cheese and they make the guacamole at the table. You know how much you love that. <laughs> so <laughs> so we're all selling every day. And so improv is just really high speed communication. And if you can really get good at that, it, it sort of guarantees your success in any field that you're in. Got Especially, it. by the way, servicing the retailers that we talk to, right? I mean, these are people that are out front and they're communicative and they're, they're, um, uh, uh, talking with clients and, and, and engaging in great conversations with people on the floor. And so you've got to be as good as they are at that in order to, to, to work with them. 
And so you've got to be as fluent and as relaxed and and improv will do that for you. So, uh, you know, if you're in California, I certainly recommend uh, Advanced Improv. They're a great group of guys. Uh, Lee and Bob run the show there, and and they're amazing improvisers. And and, and also really, really great business people uh, with tremendous C-level uh, experience. Um, and uh, um, But if you're not there, then, and, and uh, uh, just find an improv place that, that uh, it looks like it's going to be fun, that they're not going to evaluate you, and, you know, figure out how to utilize those skills in your day-to-day -day life and you'll be amazed at the effect it has and it's and it's pervasive it, it it goes through all aspects of your life it's pretty crazy so yeah i think that's great advice because it, it trains you to think and execute and communicate on your feet um and so right. it's hard to get many cycles to do that, and that's what it seems like selling is more now instead of like you said i've got 15 and my experience minutes on, on my experience on curbing enthusiasm you know that shows is, is improvised it's not scripted really so, yeah, when I went to do Kirby Enthusiasm, I knew I was hired to be, I was playing a lawyer, but that's all I knew. You know, so you go there and you're just on set and there are no lines. There's no like, okay, here's the script. Okay. In fact, you know, they're very, very, they were very, uh, very uh, guarded about making sure the plot lines didn't get out. I mean, you know, only a very few people saw them and they were sworn to secrecy. And um, when I got to the set, I found one of the writers there and I kind of grabbed them like, you got to tell me what I'm doing. You got to tell me what's going on here. <laughs> I don't know anything at all. And they told me, look, all, all, all you know is that we're at a buffet. Larry gets into trouble and you have to get him out of it. Okay, let's roll. And that's it. That's all I know, right? So you have to watch what's happening and watch what's going on. And then you just go in there and you have to, you know, I invented, a, you know, a bunch of legalese on the spot, you know, about uh, uh, in the scene, I, I say something like, you know, um, uh, he, he basically goes to the buffet and he gives some of his food to Jeff who ordered off the menu, right? And so then the restaurant manager comes over and goes, okay, you can't share the buffet with another guy. And now you've got to pay for the, for two buffets. And he's fighting with him over that. Right. And then I come over and I, and I made up something about, uh, um, you know, the guy would have to prove that Larry had prior intent before he was uh, to steal the food and stuff like that. I made it up. I didn't know what, what I was going to say at that moment in time. You know? So, uh, wow. um, uh, but you know, it's years of improv that sort of, you know, got me to that point, and uh, um, it was a really, really fun experience, and 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 everything there is totally improvised. You know, he doesn't want anything scripted. Uh, he wants it all to be uh, live, and and that's part of what makes that show so great. You know? Yeah, got it. And if you want to see Dan in action, just uh, you can go onto YouTube and Google "Kirby Enthusiasm Buffet Lawyer" is the way yeah, to, uh, the to find there. that clip, and it's uh, it's I, very I, well I'll done. I'll say something so. funny about that. If you if you look when you look at that clip clip on YouTube, there's a lot of comments below it. And uh, amongst the comments, there are people who are debating whether or not what I said was actually legally correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, people are like, you know, I, I uh, you know, it's not true that, you know, uh, because uh, he's paid for the food, it's his, he can do it. I made it the thing about it. He paid for the food, he can do what he wants with it. Now it's his, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and lawyers are chiming in, no, that's really not the case because you're still on premises. I'm like, they're really arguing legal precedent over this buffet scene in Kirby Enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait till you have to go before the Supreme Court uh, yeah. to, to argue that and see if that should be exactly. uh, some sort of case. Uh, well, Your Honor, I, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, Your Honor, you know, at the moment that he takes a bite, it's his. You know, it's like I, <laughs> you know, I can't be repossessed. You know, uh, um, uh, uh, it, I, and just a very funny thing on that one. You know, uh, um, my first day was 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 a little bit uh, of a of a of a struggle. Um, I uh, uh, the first first scene I he, they shot with me. 
um, is he says, okay, we're going to hire you in this scene, right? And and the the premise for those of you that don't uh, know the show, even though you, if you've seen it and don't remember, it's that he had a lawyer, but he was he felt like the lawyer wasn't Jewish, and he felt like that was going to be a problem in his divorce, right? That was his thing, and uh, so he meets me, and I save him, and and it, it I'm fairly apparently Jewish, you know, I have that look, you know, so um, uh, so he hires me because I save him at the buffet, and he figures I'll be great for his divorce, and it completely backfires. I I get his, I cause him to lose his house in 24 hours. I mean, it's you know, it's a disaster, but um, uh, so the first day he says to me, I'm just going to hire you in the scene, and. Uh, uh, so I go, okay. So he, we shake hands. He goes, are you, are you sure you're Jewish? And I go, do you want to check? And he goes, cut. And then he off. He goes, oh, okay, you know, just say you're the real deal. I'm like, okay. So he didn't like what I said there. I'm in trouble now. Uh oh, you know, oh, yeah. the next day, the next day I, I, I come in and, um, uh, uh, the, Susie Esselman, uh, uh, Susie Esselman, who plays uh, Jeff's wife, right. Uh, sees me and she goes, wow, you really do have that Alan Dershowitz look. And I say, Susie, you know, I grew up on the island where guys like me are farmed like salmon. <laughs> and uh, and then she laughed. And then, you know, the, then, and then David Steinberg, who was directing, laughed and turned to Larry and said, he is funny. And I went, oh, God, it's like, you know, I, now I'm OK. You know, it's, it's almost like prison. You have to cut somebody. And then you're on. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> so so uh, after that, it was totally great. It was a really great experience. And everybody there was really, really it was fun to work with everybody. And, and uh, um uh, it was fun to work. Uh, you know, my scene is with Larry, which is fun. Um, and, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, it was, uh, it, it, to this day, people still recognize me from that. That's how powerful that show is. And so my hats yeah. off to, to Larry David and Jeff Garland and all those guys. I mean, they create, they created a, 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 never before scene and, it, and it's a institution. It's brilliant. So. Fantastic. That's great. Um, so let's, let's back out and do a little bit more global and talking about, uh, your organization in terms of, you know, from retail smart guys. So I know you go beyond technology to act as a consultant for the entire operations. And I saw on your website, you talk about vendor negotiations, store management, things like that. Right. You know, that's something that uh, I've preached for years to resellers, technology solution providers to be a total solution provider, not just part of it. Can you talk about your philosophy behind you being a total solution provider uh, for the folks in retail, is it a differentiator to get you in the door? Does it result in bigger margins? Does it make your customers stickier? Is it all the above, or is it something more than that? Well, I think it's all the above. But you know, um, I, I think the 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 thing that happens in technology, I find, is that we get too excited about the technology and not about the people we're servicing. Sometimes, um, you know, when you consider the 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 courage it takes to open your own retail store right to sign a lease and be on the hook for that to hire people and be on the hook for that to buy inventory and to be on the hook for that um and to try to make all that work and balance all that kind of thing you know it's a lot there's a lot that's on that person's plate you know and technology is certainly a part of what they have to do more than ever right um and certainly here we are in in the midst of of uh um this virus situation so they've had to get really good at technology really fast i mean you know so many retailers had to pivot to the online world and and that sort of thing um but you know pivoting in the world of retail is nothing new uh actually i started retail smart guys in 2006 and at the end of 2006 and then then the recession hit so i i left you know a job where i was vice president of operations for a a, a point of sale company with a salaried position to go out on my own to consult and to uh, work with independent retailers 
Uh, and then suddenly the recession hits and no one has any money. And I thought, okay, this is the end. This is how I become a homeless guy. This is where, this is where it all falls apart. But what I, what I learned about retail is that, well, first off, the biggest expense a retailer has is, uh, is his inventory, his or her inventory, right? They spend more money on inventory than anything else, more than on, on payroll, rent, technology, advertising, insurance. I mean, inventory is their biggest expense, right? So, um, and we like to say it's a high risk asset. Because if they do it right, everything is great. And if they do it wrong, it's a disaster, right? And so, you know, our um, we have a very strong technology solution through uh, a company called Management One. We're a, a, an affiliate. We're a partner. Retail Smart Guys del- distributes good uh, services from a company called Management One, which is the large and, and Management One has the largest independent retailer database on the planet. So we have more information about independent retail than anyone else on earth. That's just the truth of it because of the number of retailers that we work with. And we recently uh, acquired RMSA, which was uh, our biggest competitor and they were now they're part of our database also. So we just have more uh, information. And so, you know, we're able to see trends in, in things that other people just can't see and we see them before anybody else. And so we're able to advise our clients what to buy into before any, anybody else, right? So, so um, you know, that technology and that that, that knowledge of that is is the starting point, but you know, the difference between when I was delivering point of sale systems and what I'm doing now in terms of merchandise planning is that you know, when I delivered point of sale systems, it was like I installed it, did it work? Can we scan a barcode? Uh, can we ring up a sale? Can we run a report? Can we do all those kinds of good amount? Okay, when you become a merchandise planner and a consultant along those lines. It's not just okay, is everything working? It's like, oh my God, I'm going to run out of money. What do we do? And so you take a, you know, suddenly I was like, wow, I have a larger responsibility here. Um, and uh, it is that larger responsibility for the livelihood of the retailer and making sure they make it through whatever is happening. Um, that is both, that, that at, uh, at that moment in time was super terrifying for me. Oh my God, I'm not only responsible for me, I'm responsible for this person, their family, their employees, their employees' families. I mean, you know, it's a, it has it suddenly takes on this whole whole like uh, a greater uh, mission I guess than uh, than that and so I think the technology is the way to start things off but you know we can't forget that we're people and trying to live lives and do things effectively and and uh, um, part of the of the of the technology of merchandise planning is helping people figure out how are they going to succeed with their stores and do better and generate more cash flow and sleep at night and uh, you know. Uh, um, and how do you marry up all that technology with the artistic side of what they do uh, with things like, you know, that color is right, that color is wrong, uh, uh, you know, that's the right merchandise, you know, that kind of stuff with helping them understand what price points they need to be at. How do you flow the merchandise in effectively? Uh, how do you generate, uh, how do you do that so that you're more profitable? I mean, you know, you know, if you and I both own stores and we get to the end of the year, okay, and we do the same amount of business, okay, but I have an average inventory of uh, $200,000 and you have an inventory, average inventory of $100,000, you win, right? Because you were able to turn faster and generate more cash out of the business than I could, right? And therefore you have more cash to buy into next season's goods, to be more profitable, to buy into more technology if you want more technology, right? But that, that you fund that by actually ha- by buying properly 
and by um, and, and by landing the right goods at the right time. And so it's not just about technology, it's also about how do we use the technology to make them more profitable and how do we validate that they actually have become more profitable and how do we learn the science of retail so they are they do become that and that's I guess that you know that's a big differentiator for us is that we're not just about a technology solution we're about how do we make sure that you know we're, we, we like to say that we're shoulder to shoulder with our clients, right? So when they win, we win. When they lose, we lose. And we're, we're very much involved in the, okay, we're winning, great. How do we keep the fire burning? We're losing. What are we going to do to turn this around? How are we going to get out of these goods that aren't selling for us? Um, what are we going to buy into that's going to turn profit and that, and that kind of thing? So, yeah, and so it almost it, seems like it goes back to when you first, you know, had that job and the computer showed up. Like it's not right. about the technology. It's about accomplishing the outcomes and staying focused on the outcomes and do you do you sell yourself that way as well like hey with our organization we're talking about outcomes like almost forget about what the technology is let's talk about the outcomes or am i overstating that no no no. i'll tell you this when when, when people talk to me about wanting to get involved in merchandise planning or open to buy i say look the first thing we do for you is a free inventory analysis and what we want to do is take a little study of their business because here's the thing even if I can say all the uh, magical hypnotic things to get someone to buy uh, our service, even I, you know, use whatever Jedi mind trick I've learned over the years to get someone to buy, you know, um, if we're not making the money, we're going to get kicked to the curb pretty fast, right? Um, so I always tell every retailer that we talk to, listen, I'm going to propose something to you, or, or I think I'm going to propose something, we'll see what it looks like. And, and, and I'm going to tell you that if I don't at least see a three times return on investment for you, in uh in what i'm doing i'm not even going to give you a proposal you know so and, and most times our stuff is closer to a, a five times roi when we look at how they're bringing goods in and stuff like that but um and i tell them straight out i said listen you know what if you're talking to anybody if they if they can't establish at least a three times roi for what they're for what you're doing then they got no business being in your store you know um i i before uh, uh i started retail smart guys i did a uh, I spent about a year working in the world of internet marketing, and it was uh, it was a rough year for me. Okay. <laughs> year of internet marketing. I'll tell you why. Most at, at that point in time, most of the people that were involved in internet marketing were selling to software providers, right? Stuff you could just download. And so they don't understand cost of goods sold for um, for like like what most retailers have to go through, right? So you know, I would I would say to them, okay, well, you know. Uh, you're going to provide this this online marketing service, and you're going to charge a thousand dollars a month, and then you know, and then they do another fifteen hundred dollars in sales as a result. And you go, great, I made them five hundred dollars. I'm like, you really didn't, okay? Because they sold fifteen hundred dollars, right? Um, but um, that cost them seven fifty, so they only made seven fifty of just gross profit. That's before they pay rent and that kind of stuff, right? You cost them a thousand, they're actually upside down two hundred and fifty dollars. And then they would look at me like, you know, like if you know, if you ask your dog to do the laundry and they kind of do that, huh? You know, like tilt their head <laughs> thing, right? It, it was kinda of like that. They just couldn't figure out how if there was fifteen hundred dollars more in sales than a thousand uh, and they cost them a thousand dollars. How do they not make money? It's like because that's not all their money. They have to pay vendors with that kind of thing, right? So yeah. um I think the things that are differentiators for us are certainly we're very focused on the return on investment and making sure we're making the money. Uh, and we actually have to approve that every single month. We actually, all, all of our agreements are written on a month to month basis. So we have to earn our return next month. Uh, and we're very, very, um, uh, very focused on staying in communication. You know, um, I don't go to sleep at night unless my inbox is empty. 
Really? And yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a it's one of the hallmarks I think of. of and you don't of, just of do Control A and Delete, right, to empty it no, out. No. I'm assuming <laughs> you're actually responding. Okay, just wanted to clarify either, that. Well, here's the thing: we first off, we respond to everything, and then it's either we solve it or we schedule ourselves to solve it, right? Um, but there is no like just letting it languish in there, right? You know, I I sometimes have you know looked over the shoulder of other people's inboxes, like oh they've got a little over four thousand items in there. I'm like, okay, do you think you're ever going to read the item that's like three thousand? items down in that whole thing you know uh i wonder about that but but the reason is is that if a retailer writes to to us or writes to me about a question like kind of they're not asking me for a, a new chocolate chip cookie recipe right they're writing to me because there's something going on in their business and they want help or guidance so they want to communicate something or that kind of thing and so you know our responsiveness is one of the hallmarks of retail smart guys we are very very responsive uh we we uh, every every email is answered uh minimally within 24 hours, but we try to do it same day uh, as much as possible. And, and uh, um, we, we work very hard to do that. I mean, that's definitely certainly a scheduling thing and, and a very active thing, but it's, it's an important one too. We have to make sure that we're in constant communication because these people need help and they're, they're, they're relying upon us to, to, to guide them, to give them some expertise or bounce ideas off of, or, or a vendor said this to me, or I've got this employee situation happening or that kind of thing. And, and they need that guidance. And that's what we want to do. We want to help them with well, that. Yeah. And I can say from firsthand when I reached out to you, because we haven't met before uh, this conversation here today, mm -hmm. I thought, mm -hmm. boy, Dan's got a million things going on. I'm going to have to make a note to follow up. And you were back with me for all those emails uh very yeah. quickly so i can yeah, we're, we're, speak we're, we're, we're big on that in fact i, I almost am, i'm getting hives for the amount of time you and i are on the phone uh, right now or talking <laughs> right now i'm like i wonder who i wonder who i gotta write respond to <laughs> but, well, good. You know, well you know but, what i'm we're going to take a quick commercial break so if you want to quickly okay. check your emails this might take 60 seconds i was going to have you uh read these commercials for us but i thought it might break <laughs> some of your you know union contracts yeah, that you yeah, have oh, there. yeah, yeah. Might, get, might get in trouble that way you're right so uh <laughs> yes <laughs> or, or I didn't want to get the same bill that Facebook uh, or GoToMeeting uh, would get. So, um, so we'll pause here while Dan checks his email and let our listeners and viewers know an RSP membership has never been more valuable or affordable. The RSP has expanded its VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSP members now have access to a legal advisor, security advisor, and a VAR and ISV business advisor. That's all included in your annual RSP membership, which for resellers starts at just $250 a year. That is 68 cents a day for these high-value services. Also, we want to say thank you to our sponsors who support the RSP community and make this podcast and video series possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star, Heartland, ScantSource, and Shift4 Payments. And then finally, in response to the COVID-19 crisis, the RSPA has launched the RSPA Solution Center, a new online platform designed to introduce VARs and ISVs to innovative solutions and connect them with providers of these solutions. To grow your channel business, you can Google RSPA Solution Center today. And if you're not an RSPA member, but you want to receive the benefits of RSPA membership or sponsorship, you can email membership at gorspa.org. Very little improv uh, Nicely done, bit. though. Nicely done. Well, well enunciated. You did a nice job with that. You know. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, thank you. I, I appreciate that uh, coming from you. I did uh, basketball games on the radio uh, oh, for nice. about so nine years, and that was very helpful. Not not to my bank account. You know, here I was driving to 
uh, Western Michigan for $50 and realizing, wait, I'm not getting reimbursed on gas or anything. Like I'm actually losing money, uh, but it helped <laughs> me think on my feet. That's why I like what you said about the improv. That seems yeah, to be a, uh, sure. a more reasonable way for folks to think well, on. And, and, you know, I've done a little bit of radio and it, it's challenging. It's not, that's not a, that's not a small thing. That's a, that's not an easy gig, you know, um, uh, because you, there's no room for pauses or breaks and that kind of thing. You've got to keep the, you got to keep the air alive on that. Right. So, uh, <laughs> I, I learned the hard way because I had a weekend talk radio show uh, for uh, it was a sports talk radio show not to eat peanuts during commercials, mm, right? Mm, because mm. it'll come back and lodge in your throat. And I had one time I had to just cut to a commercial break and right, people were like, right. I thought you were dead. Like I thought you actually <laughs> dropped over uh, on the air. So that's, that's my pro tip for everybody. Yeah, yeah, um, well, nuts in general when you're when you're having to speak for a living is a very dangerous thing, you know, so there you go. Very, very dangerous. Yeah. At least go two hours uh, before yeah. you're you're going to have exactly. to speak. So, exactly. um, well, let's get back to, to retail. I'm curious. You talked about the open to buy services. And can you describe a little bit more what those are and sure. how you pitch and how you find the leads before someone is open? I mean, I just had this conversation yesterday uh, with an RSPA solution provider member. It's so hard to find out who uh, could be a potential customer for you before they open. Can you talk mm -hmm. about uh, those open to buy services? <clears throat> sure. Well, open to buy, you know, it's I could take 50 people and put them in a room and say, write on a piece of paper what you think open to buy is, and I'd probably get 50 different answers. Okay. Um, but the 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 best answer for open to buy is that we basically, our job is to first of all, give them a solid forecast by merchandise classification, okay, um, and by location, right? So first we give them a really uh, a sales forecast they can believe in. And, and last year, across all the retailers that we work with in 16 countries, our average forecasting accuracy was around 95%. And that's because we're doing lots with artificial intelligence these days. And, and but, but even before that, we had a lot of really great algorithms um, that helped us forecast very effectively because all of our stuff is designed by people who've been buyers before for stores. Right, so they understand the data they need and how that all works. But and having a gigantic independent retail database is also a, a real advantage for us, right? Uh, because we can see trends and that, like I said before. But the first thing is to give them a forecast they believe in. So let's just take it's a contemporary women's store. We give them a forecast based on on uh, blouses versus t-shirts versus dresses versus jackets, denim, whatever they're whatever they're stocking, right? And and our system is fluid enough that we can look at their business and see how they're classifying things and what are the importances to them and have our forecasting match the way that they do business, okay? So we give them a, the open, open buy really is first, it's a great uh, reliable sales forecast by month, by class, by location. And then we give them an inventory plan that enables them to hit that forecast without underbuying and missing sales or overbuying and tying up cash unnecessarily. The latter being the worst disease that there is, right? Because um, many retailers will tell you, you know, I've just met with my accountant and uh, he said, you had a great year, you made all this money and here's what you owe in taxes. And I go, well, where's that money? It's not in my bank account, you know? And it's like, well, yeah, because it's all over your sales floor, right? You've got goods that have been there since the Carter administration. You know, you've got to figure out how to get out of some of that, right? Um, so, uh, uh, you know, it's a great sales forecast to have an inventory plan that enables them to turn the goods fast enough that they actually generate the cash flow to to be profitable and to get more market share and be uh, and and create the kind of success that they always wanted to have, right? And, and um, how do you put this together? Is it just your expertise? Is there a formula? Is there like some software that you put together to plug things in? Because I'm thinking if you can do these assessments well, it seems like it would really accelerate the sales. Sure. That's what I'm curious how other folks might well, have, might adopt this. How do you get there? 
there, there, there's, um, you know, certainly the Open Abide, uh, uh software that we use is a proprietary software that was created by Management One, um, and it, it's just brilliant. I mean, there are times that we, I, there, there have been times where I've talked to the retailer, and our forecast was within ten dollars of what they did in a month, and I'm just sort of amazed at like how you know crazy that is, and and it's it's breathtaking when that happens, you know. Um, and and we find, by the way, that that you know just to be completely transparent to the degree that the retailer really does what the plan says to do if it says buy this amount and they buy that amount and if they take this this much in markdowns and etc you know whatever that plan formulates itself out to be that our accuracy is pretty laser precise it's, it's sort of breathtaking um but you know part of it is is a really good understanding of the industry and the business part of it's also experience uh, which you know i i started in in retail when i'm 17 years old and uh, you know I'll let you guys do the math, but I've been over 40 years in the business now. So, um, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of retail. And so, you know, you kind of get, you, you get the rhythm of it. You get what's going on there. And the problem with, with the, the, the difference between us and, and uh, other retailers uh, is that, you know, I'm in a different retail store every day of my life, right? So uh, I get to see the greatest hits of, of what goes on out there. And so we get and, to and the uh, worst hits too, right? You get yeah, to see exactly. the mistakes. So, well. so we get to say things like, "Wow, that worked really well over there. We're gonna, I'm gonna hang on to that one, and that didn't work so well. We're never gonna tell anybody to do that, right?" So, so we get to see all those things. So I, you know, I say we're really more sticky than anything else. But if I had called the company retail sticky guys, people would say that's disgusting. I'm never hiring those people. So <laughs> we went with retail. You never shake your hand. You would never shake your <laughs> hand. Yeah, like, oh, yeah, you know what? Phone interview only with him, that kind of stuff. Um, in terms of, and in terms of, you know, finding clients and and uh, getting them ready for open to buy. At some point, I think almost every retailer learns what open to buy is, even if they didn't know about it when they first opened or when they first got into the business. They all, at some point, someone says it to them. Maybe a vendor, maybe a maybe a technology partner, because uh, um, we work a lot with the various point of sale companies, because um, we have to get our data out of their systems, right, to be able to bring it into ours. So it's important that we're partnered with them. Um, but uh, um, invariably, they hear about it, and and you know there are people that will produce formulas for it and that kind of stuff. But I find the thing that, that we do that that's more effective, I think, is that it's very hard to ask an independent retailer to forecast their own business. It's hard mm -hmm. to do that with any level of bias, right? Uh, and I find the bias works both ways, right? There's either the, you know, uh, we're going to do, uh, we're going to do $3 million at this location because we're great and we're, you know, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. You really are going to do like 1.8 really. <laughs> um, and, and, or, or it goes the other way. It's like, oh, well, I don't want to say I'm going to do three. So I'm going to say I'm going to do two, uh, even though they have the potential to do three. Right. And as such, because that's what they, that's how they forecasted themselves. They didn't buy to the plan that they could have done. And they miss out on opportunities, right? That's a, and that's I see that a lot too, where there's people that could have done more business, but they, they uh, um, just didn't, they didn't buy to it. You know, like uh, a really good example of this is I have a client, and uh, she said to me, "We don't do any dress business." And I go, "Well, the reason you don't do any dress business is you never buy them, you never land any dresses, right?" So I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you an open to buy. Go out and spend ten thousand dollars on dresses. Let's see what you can do. It turned out to be the second best class in her store, right? But wow. she. She got convinced by her the people on the floor and maybe some rough customer interactions and stuff like that that she couldn't sell dresses and in fact she was great at selling dresses and has a real eye for it. But um, so part of it's also having a set, a set of outside eyes to whom you you can turn to and say you know what do you see what do you see happening in the marketplace what's happening in the field um, and also uh, uh, someone who can encourage them to do better you know 
uh, as an independent retailer, if they have struggles with their business, who can they go to, right? And, you know, their landlord, you know, only wants them to pay rent and is rooting for them, but doesn't really have any kind of advice or technology to help them. Most of their vendors try to solve their problem by getting them to buy more of their goods, right? Well, if you bought more of my goods, you'd sell more, you know, that kind of thing. Um, yep. We're the only ones that sort of really don't have a dog in the fight at that moment in time, right? Yep. Uh, so our job is to basically figure out, okay, well, where and how are we going to make more money? What are we going to do to make this work? You know, so. Yep. Um, and, and you've got a mountain of data and trend data to rely on, and they have the emotions and just anecdotes that that go along with it. Exactly so. right. Exactly right. So I th I think um, uh, I I think that's part of it. I think it's it's. Um, it's having the background, having the experience, and also, you know, being connected to a, the network that we're connected to through Management One. I mean, there's a little over 100 Management One consultants out there. Um, and so we all work in different sectors of retail. And we all work in different areas of the country and stuff like that. And so if I get stuck, if I don't know, uh, uh, God, uh, gee, I, I need a good kids' shoes vendors. You know, I, I have a whole network of people I can turn to and they can say, well, these guys are selling that, this brand is selling that, that brand is starting to slip away, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, it's a, we like to be the best resource they have along those lines to, for the questions they really need answers to. But the main thing that, you know, the, the, the centerpiece of what we do is certainly, you know, forecasting their sales effectively and giving them an inventory plan uh, that makes them uh, money. And especially now in this, you know, in the midst of all this COVID-19 thing, um, I mean, Lord knows we're in it now, you know, and, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just recently, unfortunately, those numbers are starting to go up again. Um, and even if they start to go down again, if we figure it out or if we invent the virus tomorrow and that kind of thing, there's still longer term ramifications of what that means economically. Right. That I say that not to scare anybody because that's not the point. The point is um, I learned when, when I started this company in the middle of the recession that there are ways to make money even in the worst of economic times. And uh, and that's never more true than in the world of retail. And so we're helping retailers turn their inventory faster in the, in the second half of this year so that we are sure that they're in cash, not in inventory. Um, and uh, uh, and that's how they're going to survive this or anything else, you know, is to be able to is to is to have the, your turns cranked up effectively so that you're selling through merchandise. You're not stuck with a bunch of goods that you can't cash out of so that you have the inventory to do the things you need to do and pay the people you need to pay and and uh, and survive and make it through so that when things do get better, then you're positioned to to, you know, capture even more market share and, and grow even more. Yeah, and there's always going to be a next recession, right? Like this one was caused by the pandemic. Who knows when the next one's going to be or what's going to cause it, but valuable exactly. to be able to help your your and guide your customers through that. So I know we're almost out of time. I just have two quick questions for you. One, okay. I'm hoping you can help us. Uh, what emerging technologies do you see uh, as most important for retail the rest of 2020 and 2021? Help us kind of see around that corner from your perspective. Um, I think... Um, uh... I think the artificial intelligence stuff that we've started to work in has been, <clears throat> has been <clears throat> instrumental in growth. Um, I think that stuff is starting to is really starting to take root. Um, you need a big database to make it work, which is why it's been good for us. Right, we have 30 years of retail data, so the artificial intelligence guys love what we do along those lines. Um, and uh, um, I, I think that uh, um, uh, I, I think that to, to the degree that actually you know informs um, 
what the customer is thinking and helps you predict what they're thinking and helps you be a step ahead of the customer and service them better uh, and leverage that technology to provide better uh, and more meaningful customer service, I think that's an important uh, aspect of it. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that's a, that's a huge, huge deal. Okay. Got it. Yeah, that could certainly be a game changer so I, for sure. So I think that's I think that that technology is evolving and learning and and that sort of thing and and it's it's uh they they also call it machine based learning right where the, it it learns what it didn't do right the last time uh, and uh, so helping those things learn to give us to give us data that we can actually utilize to become better merchants and better consultants I think is is very is critical to the to the future I mean you know. The days of, of uh, I say this all the time, no one's going to win the Nobel Prize for ringing up a cash sale anymore, right? We kind of conquered that technology. So the right. next technology is sort of predictability and, and, and using that technology to provide a really meaningful and amazing customer service interaction, I think, is everything. Yeah, if we had more time, I'd go down the path of do you think AI can teach a machine to do improv? But that's probably for a whole other, a whole other discussion. God, I hope so, not. That'll, that'll put an end to that part of my career. You know? <laughs> yeah, that'd be a real problem. That'd uh, be a real problem. There. Uh, exactly. So my last question, Freen, we we like asking our guests this. Can you recommend for our audience uh, a good resource that'll help them improve their organization, like a book to read? an online resource to follow, a podcast to listen to. And I want to say this, you cannot recommend any of the work you've done before, like when you were in Superstore and you received credit as creepy attendee, all right? Yeah, yeah or, exactly. Or the movie X Bros, which I watched the trailer for, where you oh, played you? Cr Crackhead Dan. Yes. yes. And so yes, I, was, uh, I thought that's why I should have introduced well, you, you went, for this. You but, went deep into some of my career choices there. Was, uh... <laughs> well, it was it was an interesting path to go down. I, I, I will say that. But, I don't uh, often get to so play a a crackhead and, and that one actually I spent more time in makeup for them to put the things on my face than you know anything it else it was an interesting look no doubt about it was it. A, it was it was an interesting look it was an interesting day but it was uh, 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 that guy is a very funny guy the guy Joey uh, 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 Thompson Joey um, oh god I can't think of his name now oh it's horrible anyway but the guys uh, the guys the expos were really really wonderful and uh, it was Got a great it. experience for me um, yes, besides you know, expos what resource would you recommend um, except for other than that um, I would say well certainly you know um, I'm a big fan of, of improv as we said so for business professionals I would look at advantage improv um, if you're looking for especially help now and guidance through this whole COVID-19 thing there's a bunch of things certainly you know you guys at, on, on RSPA are providing a, a really great amount of resources out there, and so I do tell people to look at what you guys are doing. Um, but also Management One has a great blog about uh, how to get through all that kind of stuff, and, and I think the thing that we've all learned is that um, you know, forever we've talked about, yeah, we should do more online and we should uh, have more educational resources out there. I think one thing that, that we've all learned from this pandemic is that we have to be uh, – more um, out front in terms of like uh, information that people need to, to continue to grow their business. And I find, I don't think I even answered this question that you asked me before, but you know, the more information I provide online, the more I do a webinar or the more we, we uh, pro uh, do articles or blog posts or that kind of stuff, and the more I share openly about what's going on, um, the more people are attracted to, to work with us because they go, well, you know what, you know, he seems to know what's going on. I'm, you know, we're demonstrating that we, we're not just, you know, guys who are trying to hawk a solution, you know, that we're actually involved. Uh, so th there's that. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, for some of the, for, for some of the, the small stores, there's a thing called Boutique Hub, uh, and they're really good for independent retail. Uh, I'm good friends with a guy named Bob Nagan who um, is, has an organization called WhizBang Retail, and they're a retail educational group. Um, 
And so if you're first jumping into retailing both Boutique Hub and Whizbang Retail are great resources for that. Um, uh, God, I, I, there's, there's a ton of them, you know, and, and we're actually updating our website now to put all the links there for all the people that we work with. But I, I think the thing, the most important thing is, you know, um, you have to, I, I think as you look at, at, at resources for your business, you've got to make sure, first off, you know what you need to know and that you um, uh, are looking at people who don't have an agenda and, and their, their agenda is just purely like, uh, how do I help you without, you know, backing the right horse, if you will. You know, I mean, uh, we're, uh, we're, we're very careful about, you know, um, when we recommend other resources, it's not because we're getting a commission for those resources, right? We're right. recommending them because we believe in them, because we think they're the right things. So, so that's a big piece of what we do. Right. Yeah. Sincerely provide information yeah, as opposed we really to believe in, you know, and, and, and we don't, and it's not because we believe in it because we, we, um, uh, because we're getting a commission. We believe in it because we've seen it work, right? We know what it, what it does. So. Got it. Wonderful. Well, that is all the time that we have. Uh, we hope uh, everyone listening enjoyed our discussion today. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and also the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy, the more stars, the better. Uh, and if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the Point of Sale channel, you can check out the RSPA blog. It's available at gorspa.org, and you just click in the upper right-hand corner on RSPA blog. Before we go, thanks again to Dan Jeblons for joining us today. Uh, thank you, Dan, so much for sharing uh, your wisdom and, and so many of your insights. Um, thanks also to RSP Marcom manager uh, Chris Arnold for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point-of-sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks again for listening, and goodbye, everybody.